Welcome to the Elk Talk Podcast with Randy Newberg and Corey Jacobson. Presented by the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation. The goal is what little you and I know about elk hunting, we share with people. I've got an elk building, it's like 120 yards away, what do I do? First off, the thought would never cross my mind when an elk being 120 yards away to call anybody on a cell phone. <laughs> All elk. All the time. Only elk. Only elk. Well, it's us having conversations. So we usually go down some rabbit holes. But if you hunt with Corey Jacobson, you will find the landscape is full of rabbit holes. We're just going to make this up as we go. And you look at it like, oh, that's a target-rich environment. But if you're trying to single one out, a solo target there is much easier to go into than a, a big group. Well, we record everything, so there's no BS and no lying, no faking it with us. <laughs> Did we hit the record I button? I forgot to hit the record <laughs> button. If you want to know something about elk hunting, this probably isn't the podcast to listen to. <laughs> Should we give them a list of all the other podcasts well. where they might learn something? <laughs> The Elk Talk Podcast is brought to you by the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation, ensuring the future of elk, other wildlife, their habitat, and our hunting heritage. To become a member, go to rmef.org. The Elk Talk Podcast is also brought to you by Mountain Ops, making outdoor energy and performance nutrition to make you a stronger and healthier elk hunter. They have a full line of hunting-related supplements, including meal replacement shakes, multivitamins, pre-workout fuel, and post-workout recovery. And my favorite, their new performance protein bars that, by the way, are packed with 270 calories and 20 grams of protein, but contain less than 6 grams of sugar. Visit mountainops.com to learn more and to order, and be sure to use the promo code ELKTALK to save on your next order. The podcast is also brought to you by Gerber. Uh, go to gerbergear.com and learn about the knives, the vital, the big game vital, the Gator Premium, all the things that we use when we're out in the woods, and not just knives, but also some really cool multi-tools that they have. And we have a promo code for Gerber as well. Just use the code ELKTALK to save 20% on your orders at gerbergear.com. And we are also brought to you by Rocky Mountain Hunting Calls. And Rocky Mountain Hunting Calls is the original designer and inventor of the pallet plate diaphragm that's completely changed the way elk calls are made and used. And to find out more and to order your elk calls, go to RockyMountainHuntingCalls.com or BuglingBull.com and use promo code ELKTALK and you're going to save 15% on all of your elk calls and elk call accessories. The Elk Talk podcast is also brought to you by Go Hunt Maps. We've been using Go Hunt Maps since they started, providing them with our feedback and our ideas to add to their maps and their tools. So if you go to GoHunt.com and sign up for their Explorer Maps, you'll get all 50 states for the low price of $49. And by using promo code ELKTALK, they're going to give you $20 of credit in their gear shop that you can apply towards things you might want for this upcoming hunting season. GoHunt.com, Explorer Maps, promo code ELKTALK. Lastly, the University of Elk Hunting online course is a proud partner of the Elk Talk podcast. And within the University of Elk Hunting online course, you're going to find nearly 60 chapters organized in 17 modules of elk hunting instruction aimed at making you a more successful elk hunter. From planning and e-scouting to calling strategies and packing 
Every imaginable elk hunting topic is included in the online course. And regardless of your previous elk hunting experience or success, I'm confident the University of Elk Hunting online course will make you a more confident, more successful elk hunter. Just visit elk101.com and use the promo code ELKTALK to save 20% when you sign up for a membership to the University of Elk Hunting online course. And with that, Corey... We are ready to get into it. Let's jump into it. Corey, how is it that I was able to track you down on a Friday afternoon in September when the elk are bugling? Well, a couple of reasons. First, you uh, you asked me if I was available, so I said yes, so I felt committed. <laughs> Second, I haven't heard an elk bugle for four days, so. Really? Yeah, I've been out all four Wait. of those days. Really? So no. you've been you've been you've been out elk hunting for four days and you haven't heard a bugle? Well, I've been taking my son Sam out just after mm-hmm. school and then when he's in school I've been going out trying to locate elk for him and I actually spent four and a half hours this morning on uh, the motorcycle on backcountry trails trying to locate a bugle and I have not heard a bugle on public land. Uh since I got home from Colorado. So. Wow. Well, I'm not going to feel that bad then because when I got home from Idaho, when we were helping my buddy Scott on his super tag, I took a day and I'm like, all right, I'm going to go find this bull. This is, I didn't, I didn't hear a bugle. I didn't see a grouse. And then the fog rolled in. You could only see like 15 yards. I'm like, oh man, if I could hear a bugle now, I could just <laughs> march right over there. Put the wind in my face, he'd never see me. And if if I finally got to where I could make out an elk, he'd be in range. He'd be within my 20-yard pin. So I walked around the woods out there all day long. Nothing. Nothing. Man, I don't know what's going on. It, this is like prime time. We should be hearing a lot of bugles. There's no moon. It's... You know, the yeah. fall equinox, I think, was yesterday or the day before. So it's should be go time. But uh, in in defense of not hearing any bugles, I've also not seen any fresh tracks. So <laughs> I, uh, I don't think it's because the elk aren't bugling. I think it's because they aren't there. Yeah, I'm I'm 100% convinced the elk are not where I was at. But when I went to Idaho, they were there. <laughs> I, I how does a guy go about winning one of them super tag things that my buddy scott won i've i couldn't believe that i uh the first day we start scouting and uh, scott i'm like you sure we're not in a zoo or something <laughs> I, i've never it's seen pretty incredible i have never seen that many bulls just standing there on ridges like let me see how loud i can bugle yep and, and, and how many times <laughs> yeah. So that one would be, and five, six other ones within 300 yards of us would do the same thing. And you'd go over to the other side of the ridge, and same thing had happened. I'm like, holy smokes. Now I see why yeah. they call it a super tag. Uh, yep. oh, uh, was yeah. Oh, that's fun. Oh, man. We're, uh, we're heading down to that same area uh, in a week and a half for our Are Outfitters you? for Hope Hunt. Yeah. Oh, cool. Well, that's a good place to take them, I think. Isn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think but, this is our uh, our sixth year going down there. And oh, it's, really? Uh, yeah, it's a special, special place. Yeah. Well, I 
I think you guys in Idaho, you guys give away 10 super tags in that raffle thing you do. Is it? And I think, yeah. I think most of them were down there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, they only give out, I think, five actual tags. Well, they have a rifle season and an archery season going on at yeah. the same time. And then you've got yep. super tags. And so, yeah, there's, it's not uncommon to think that there could be 20 people hunting yeah. that area at the same time. Yeah, but we got energetic. We climbed up this ridge, and, you know, when Scott trout his elk, we had to pack it out all of a half mile. Wow, you did get Every, off the road then. <laughs> everybody else is just driving around, stop their ATV, blow their flute a little bit. Then you'd hear, and they'd take off again. Yep. Like, really? <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm sure it probably works. So I guess they're probably looking at us walking around saying, look at those knotheads. They must not be able to afford an ATV or something. <laughs> What's crazy is how many people shoot just small six points down there. You know, and there are, you don't have to work very hard or try very hard to run over a really nice six point. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's, it's crazy. But so, uh, in the interim, since we last talked about, you told the story of you and Donnie shooting elk in Idaho, uh, your daughter just shot a bull and you went to Colorado. Yeah. Yeah. Lots happened. <laughs> yeah. How was Colorado? Was it all all it was cracked up to be? Um, you know, there's there's a lot of thoughts on that hunt, uh, and I knew going in, you know, I, I could have a classic, you know, wilderness type hunt with the with the points that I had, uh, where I wouldn't have as much opportunity to shoot a bigger bull, uh, but mm -hmm. it's 100% public land, or I could put in for this other unit where there's a chance that there's some really big bulls, but it's 70% private land. <laughs> and, but, but there's always that little caveat. Yeah. And this turned out to be a big caveat because, um, you know, and we did, we, we talked to a ton of people and everybody said the same thing. There's bulls in these pockets and they'll come off here and there's so many elk, you can call them and they'll come off the private. And, and all the info we got was, pretty spot on the only difference was this year for whatever reason there were no elk living on the public like we could not Ooh. find a track we couldn't find a bugle um every i mean we would sit on the fence line and listen to the most insane bugling chaos going on like i have never in two days in my life heard that much bugling and it was all day, you know, sometimes it'll slow down a little and you'll hear a whistle for a couple hours during the day. They were like intense screaming at each other all day long for two days. So from that well, standpoint, it was, it was exciting. Um, I'm not a trophy hunter, so it wasn't like I was going to pass up a whole bunch of bulls. Uh, but at the same time, you know, I was like, man, if there's big bulls here, I want to, I want to chance at them. And yeah. the only big bulls we saw were solidly in the middle of the private and mm -hmm. they knew the game they got big for a reason they stayed away <laughs> from the boundaries they you know they wouldn't even move the cows would come down they'd let the cows go down and water down close to the public and the big bulls would just stay up on the ridge and the cows would come back up and they're like i'm not afraid of losing them i'm i'm the king they're coming back here so um hmm. first day we we got out and we took off hiking and I knew I knew something was up when the first night we camped on a big ridge overlooking drainages on both sides and we never heard a bugle all night 
And I Ooh. thought, oh, this wasn't what I was expecting. <laughs> <laughs> so we got in the got in the side by side, and we drove up to the area we were going to hunt, and we hiked for about an hour and a half, just getting around the corner of private and getting up into the pocket where we wanted to be. Never heard a bugle during any of that time, and finally, as we're walking up the fence line, uh, probably. 8.30 in the morning, started hearing bugles up the canyon. So we hightailed it up there and got up to about where we wanted to be about the time the, the rain hit. And it poured <laughs> rain for about an hour. And then uh, it kind of broke loose or broke free. And and uh, the bulls were still bugling. And we ended up calling in two little six points from the private. And they came right to the fence, didn't even hesitate, jumped the fence and came walking right into our setup. <laughs> uh, and they were smaller six points, not, not something I was looking to shoot the first morning. Uh, and then we made a huge hike through all the public out in there and didn't see tracks, didn't hear a bugle. The water holes had very few tracks on them. Wow. So we came back and I said, okay, there's a water hole right here where we'd called in those first two six points. And you could still hear the bulls screaming over the ridge on the private. And I said, I bet they're coming into this water hole. And then they go back over the ridge and bed. So our plan was we're going to sit here on this water hole or above it. We were probably 150 yards above it. So the wind was good. Sit here all day. And when the elk start coming in, then we'll start working the calls. And about 3 o'clock, eh, it was later than that, probably 4 o'clock, 4.30, the bulls started going crazy and I thought, oh man, they are, you know, they must be getting up and moving around because mm -hmm. it just broke loose over there. And then all of a sudden we hear two gunshots right in the middle of all the bugling. And was a muzzleloader season going on? Well, muzzleloader season was on. It didn't sound like a muzzleloader to me, but it was huh. on private and on that oh. private land, we were told... Yeah. There's no hunting allowed. So they, they told us no hunting allowed. They lease it for cattle only, and they don't allow for hunting. I said, well, hunting was taking place out there because there were two gunshots. <laughs> and all of those bulls that we were anticipating coming in, and I say all those bulls, there were probably 15 elk bugling. Mm. And they all started moving down canyon away from us. So... We got looking on the map and found there was a water hole down at the bottom of the canyon. And I thought, well, they got displaced. So they're going down there. So we hightailed it back to the side-by-side, -side, got in the side-by-side, -side, drove around the mountain, got out, had probably an hour and a half of daylight and walked over to the edge of this canyon. And we were right on. All those elk got pushed right down on this hillside. And it was chaos. You know, and they'll get displaced and kind of out of their comfort zone. And the cows are going every different direction. The bulls were just, I mean, it was just a frenzy of bugles. Problem was they were still on private. So oh, we're across dang. we're across the canyon from them probably, I don't know, 400, 500 yards away. And we're just glassing. And there's a big six point and a raghorn four point and two spikes. And then up above them, a big herd bull with four cows. And then down below them, two five points and a four point. I mean, just elk everywhere and mostly bulls. And that's where we saw two really big bulls, but they were a mile and a half up the hillside, up on the private. So oh, we uh, we set up there, had good wind, and we just started calling. And we called in a really nice five by six, came in above us. 
uh, came by at like 20 yards. We called in uh, another five point, came in like 15 yards above us, and we called in a four point and two spikes, came in about 25 yards below us, and then another five point <laughs> came in below us. And by now it's starting to get dark, and there's two bulls bugling above us. So we went up on them, and they just they didn't come into shooting range, but they were 40 or 50 yards above us, just couldn't see them. So I said, all right, that much chaos, we're able to call, I think, six or seven bulls we called off of the private right there into that one setup. We're going right back there tomorrow morning, and yeah. it's, this is going to be magic. We sat there for an hour the next morning and never heard a single bugle. So then we oh. got looking at the maps again, and we're like, okay, if they, they aren't here, they got pushed out of here, where would they go? And we found another little pocket that, you know, there's a little strip of public that went up between all the private, and we thought, well, we'll try to hike up into there. So we got around, parked side by side, walked up the hill about a half mile, and pretty soon you can start hearing bugles way up ahead of us. So we kept going, and it's crazy in that open country how far a bugle will carry. But it's probably a mile and a half. We hiked up this ridge, got up in there, came to just completely uh, no way to traverse these rock bluffs. So we're standing on these rock bluffs listening to chaos. And it, again, canyon goes down. Bottom of the canyon is the private public boundary. Go up the other side, and there's a flat, and all the bulls are up on that flat on the private. So we sat there and started calling. Called a really nice six-point across the canyon. He came up underneath the rock bluffs, and he spent 15 minutes trying to find a way up through those rocks. I mean, he was frantic trying to get up to us uh -huh. and finally couldn't make it. So he just turned and walked over the ridge and bedded down. Uh, we ended up calling two more six-point bulls off of the hillside and down into the draw below us, but neither of them would come. And so I thought, you know what, there's a strip of public that's about 400 yards by 200 yards that juts onto the flat. And if we can make it over on that flat, I guarantee we can call elk from that flat onto the public. So by now it's three o'clock in the afternoon and we've sat there and listened to thousands of bugles and we finally found a way down through the, the rocks and it's, I mean, literally holding on to branches, stepping off of rocks uh. and scaling down. I thought, man, I even told Donnie and Ben, I said, you guys okay going down there? And Ben was pretty anxious. Donnie was uh, a little little more hesitant. I think I've kind of numbed him to <laughs> all of this excitement, but he, uh, he kind of said, I guess, yeah, okay. And we started, and I said, you know, if we go down here, we're probably going to shoot something. We have to pack it out of here. And so as we go down there, we got to the bottom and as soon as we hit the bottom, a bull heard us walking and screamed and came into like 25 yards, a nice little six point. So we climb up the hill on the other side, get to the flat, and it is just chaos. Just I, I just I can't even explain it. Like I've I've hunted elk for thirty five years. I love calling. I call more than I probably ever should. I have never heard this kind of calling before. There were really? twenty or twenty five bulls in this little basin, and they were not happy that anybody else was in there. So <laughs> they were letting us know about it, but. We uh, we moved in and could hear what we thought was a bigger sounding bull and got as close as we could to him. And he was just into the private. 
And uh, so we set up and Cal called once and a little raghorn walked out. And I thought, oh, just what we need. He's walking out and going to blow everything. So he comes to 20, 25 yards, circles around us, goes all the way around us, goes clear to where Donnie's cow calling. We hear him bust out of there. And so I cow call, he turns around, comes back into us. Donnie cow calls, he goes back to Donnie. (laughs) And I thought, okay, well, maybe he's not going to blow this whole thing. And uh, so I start moving forward and Ben... Uh, Potter, who's running the camera, is like, hey, don't move, don't move. I saw a cow that was bedded up there, and she stood up. She's somewhere in front of us. So I kind of stopped there for a minute and pulled up binoculars, and pretty soon could see the cow like 80 or 100 yards in front of us. And about then, another cow feeds out, and she's about 50 yards in front of us, and she pins us and looks right at us. And I thought, oh, now we're we're really busted. So we just froze there, and pretty soon uh, you could hear the herd bull coming up behind them. And he comes onto the public side, and we still can't see him, but he's bugling coming up, and the cow turns her head, and so I just scream a bugle, just rip a bugle right there. (laughs) And the cow turns and locks on us, but the bull, you can hear him, he just loses it. Just, I mean, you can hear the air coming out of his lungs with every step, and he comes running up there and gets right behind the cow and bumps her, and she runs 10 yards or so ahead, and he stands broadside there, so... I had already, when I saw him coming through, I thought, man, he's got really long beams and he's good looking bull. And just knowing what we knew, I'm like, I am not holding out for anything in here. Just we're, we're lucky to find a big bull on public. Yeah. So didn't even hesitate and uh, ranged him and drew back and shot. And it felt like a really good shot. It looked like a good shot, sounded like a good shot, but we're pretty close to private. And so then yeah. it starts, oh gosh, I hope he doesn't run too far. And Mm-hmm. Anyway, long story shorter, um, we walked up and he made it probably about 130 yards and died. But where we were, we were about 40 yards off of the private boundary. And where he died was about 20 yards off of the opposite corner of the private on public. So, so. so you had to go around the corner. No, we didn't. We we no. were on an inside corner. So he, oh, okay. he came gotcha. in. And, yeah. Yeah. So it, it uh. all worked out. And... <laughs> But I mean, honestly, my, looking back on that, I would not recommend a lot of people, you know, hunt like that. I mean, it's just, it's it's not as exciting as it is to hear that much bugling. It's also that much frustrating because there's yeah. not a lot you can do. You know, I mean, we can pull, we could pull them off of there. We got lucky that the cows came off because had they not come off those herd bulls, just they were not coming off the private. Yeah. Huh. So was there a big habitat difference between what the private habitat was and what the public habitat was? Not a bit. Or is it all? Okay. Yep. No, and that's what, that's what was, you know, you could tell they're there because they don't get the pressure and that's the private land. You know, we talked to the, the guy who leased it for cattle and he's like, yeah, they don't allow any hunting on there. And, uh, so I mean, that's, that's where the elk go. Yeah. And there were a yeah, lot of elk that went there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Well, it's still exciting. And knowing how good Ben Potter is with the camera, this has got to be some really good footage. He was uh, over my shoulder running the 8K red camera. Uh, yeah, 120 frames a second. So you can see the fletches on the arrows turning slow motion in the air going to the elk. Wow. But yeah, we got, we got a ton of elk encounters. You know, we got a lot of footage of elk, um, a lot of good call-ins, a lot of good bugling. So 
uh, you know, I, and that's why I told Ben after the hunt, I don't put in for these hunts to kill a 400 inch bull. Like that's not yeah. my goal. My goal is I want to hear bugling. I want to, I want bugling action. Yeah. And that hunt provided that, you know, unfortunately most of it was on private, but it was still a lot of bugling gave us a chance to call in bulls from the private onto the public. Uh, we saw some good bulls. We had a, we had a great hunt, no doubt. Yeah. Huh. Well, man, you're having quite a season, Corey. Idaho bull, Colorado bull. You got any elk tags left? I do. I've got a second tag in Idaho for November rifle. That's right. You guys allow that. The residents can go buy those leftovers that non-residents turn back in. Yeah, non-residents can buy them too. Non-residents can buy two tags. Really? I didn't yeah. know that. I thought it was only residents who could do Mm-mm. it. No, yeah. anybody can buy any tags that get turned back in, any leftovers. You just have to pay the non-resident price for it. Yeah. Well, when I drove through Boise on my way home, I walked into your game and fish office and said, hey, you got any of them super tag things? I want to buy one of those. <laughs> oh, I didn't. But that's what yes. was going through my head. Yeah. But it was really interesting, even down in that country where there's a really impressive bull to cow ratio uh the elk were in certain stratas and you've been there a lot of times so you know that some of that lower country that's well watered is private and they had a ton of cows in there and the private actually was the marginal habitat because of how hard the cows the cattle had been hammering it and fortunately for my buddy Scott Jones, he drew this tag in a year that was a pretty moist year. So the high country up above where the cattle weren't, they rested that allotment this year. There was so much feed up there. And guess where all the cows were? Yep. <laughs> <It> was, <laughs> once you found the cows, the, the cow elk, it was unbelievable. The density of elk and the number of bulls in there. And, yep. uh, yeah, it was fun. And they're vocal and they're so oh, wow. responsive to calls. I mean, you can call, you can call the herd bulls in, in there. Yeah. Well, you'll get a kick out of this. The, the day that he ended up shooting that bull, we'd seen it in the morning and I'm looking through my spotter and we'd seen nice bulls, right? Like 320, 330 ish beautiful six points but i hadn't seen that next step up and here comes the bull walking across this hillside aspen hillside and he will i just see an elk walk into this little opening that the sun is hitting put my spotter on it i'm like oh my gosh scott you got to look at this and uh <laughs> we'd we'd hiked up the ridge because the thermal had changed just a little bit and we were worried that you know, it'd start blowing down into these pockets that they'd probably bet in. So we'd only went like two or 300 yards from the trailhead up on this ridge. And uh, Scott looks in there and he's looks at me. He's like, I got to get my stuff. And he just takes <laughs> off running. And I'm like, well, I guess that answers the question. That, that one will do. And uh, But anyhow, we went and sat on that bull. And he went down into the canyon and the thermals... It was that weird time, you know, 9.30 in the morning where, well, depending on whether it was the shaded side or the sunny side, and I didn't want to risk blowing them out of there. So I told Scott, I said, I know 
he's down there bugling. He's got 10 other bulls bugling. It'd be fun to try mess with him, but I think we'd screw him up. And if he takes off running, there's so much private, you know, he could, he goes three miles. He's going to be on private. And so we sat there and he just laid down there. He groaned and glunked a lot. And I, I'd never heard, I've heard bulls walk by glunking, but I had never heard one before sit in an aspen grove, probably a 150 acre aspen grove and just glunk, glunk, glunk. <laughs> and then he'd go tear some trees apart. Glunk, glunk. I'm like, man, this is weird, but it was cool. Yeah. But the, the point I'm trying to get to is, uh, uh, later we, we go back, we pull out of there cause the wind's messed up. And then we get some good cloud cover. I'm like, oh, maybe that'll change how the wind's doing. We go back. The wind's better. So we drop down in there close again. And I told Scott, let's just wait. He might come in water. Well, some uh, thunder clouds rolled in. And the lightning in the distance and the thunder, like you can hear it like rolling across the landscape. All of a sudden, the bulls just started bugling. And I don't know if it was coincidence <laughs> that they decided to start bugling when the thunder happened or if the thunder was enough to get them to say, oh, let me practice for a while here. <laughs> but uh, I, I feel bad I did not have to make one bugle because when all these bulls around him started bugling, he wasn't going to put up with it. And... Uh, he got up on his feet and I'd made a few cow calls uh, just because the bull right, just to our right, if I'd cow call, he'd just get all, oh, he's so mad. Now he's standing in an opening. You can see him. He's nice six point, nothing huge, but, and every time I'd make a cow call, he'd just be like, if big Hank wasn't there, I'd come over there and whoop you. <laughs> well, <laughs> or I'd come over and not whoop you, come over there and, be your Thank friend you. for the yeah <laughs> so finally these other bulls pull that big bull right up out of those aspens and we just sat there and sat there and obviously scott got to use a rifle and he shot it at about 210 yards but that bull came up out of those aspens and he stood on the edge of them just tearing everything apart <laughs> and then bugling i'm like this, this ain't real here. This, this now I can see why they call this a super tag. So yeah, it was, I learned a lot in that hunt, even though it was, you know, a lot of these units, it can make you look like, you know what you're doing just because the number of elk yeah. and the density, you know, the bull to cow ratios. But we talked to some, like you said, there was an archery hunt going on the same time as the five draw tags for rifle. And then all the super tag holders, there were a lot of people who were saying, man, we just aren't seeing anything. <laughs> hmm. Did you leave camp? Yeah. We, exactly. <laughs> Are you Drink stopping and just listening <laughs> once in a while? Yeah. And we ran into another guy, the one non-resident who drew the one rifle tag. Uh, he sent us a text afterwards. He was really getting after it. He shot a really nice bull too. And, uh, which didn't surprise me. He was going down into the same holes we were and, the downside is some of these units, even when you go down in the hole, you find an ATV in the ATV yeah. trail in the bottom of it. It's like, hmm. Oh well, guess I'll yep. just hunt anyhow. But I've seen more ATV abuse this year, I think, than I've ever seen on really. You know, BLM, state, Forest Service, everything. It's just, it's. Uh, 
you know, you, there's a motorcycle trail here or there's a road you can drive here. Well, you drive on it and then there's six spurs off of it that aren't motorized, but they're driving every one of those spurs to the end and back. And, you know, there's yeah. no gates, there's no signs on them. So if there's not yeah. a gate and a sign, I think people see that as, oh, it must be open. Huh. Well, I I don't know if this was uh, a closed area, but the one two nights before season opened, we went down early to scout and learn the country. I'm glassing this bull with 22 cows, and he's really having a hard time fending off all of uh, the other bulls. I mean, that, <laughs> those gals are making him earn it. And uh, there's a road the, over the ridge to our left, and all of a sudden, here comes four pickup trucks with ATVs in the back of them, just blowing right through this like old rocky two track i maybe it was open i don't know they go wheeling right underneath us park on this little knob over there and they all jump out and they're glass and like where did he go where and i wanted to yell to him hey guys uh he ran off when you drove past oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, Oh well, it was it was just a ton of fun, and I I really wanted to get super aggressive because it was there's so much calling action. Yeah, but at nine thirty to eleven o'clock in the morning in those canyons, I just I can never get the wind how I want it, and yeah. uh, so I know. I think this bull just wanted to be on YouTube or something. He did. <laughs> there's there's some like that down there that you just, I mean, we had that one the one year. In fact, Ben Potter was down filming uh, on the Hunt of a Lifetime. And this giant bull, we called him in. He left his cows, came down. We called him in three times after we had already shot a bull. And there we had another another kid in camp, and so we actually went back to camp. Like, hey, there's a really big bull up here. We've called it in three times. I don't think he's going anywhere. So we went back in there, and that's the one that we had the two different camps. Our camp had a had a youth, and then the other camp had a youth. And everybody from both camps wanted to go. There were 17 people walking up the mountain, <laughs> carrying this one youth. And we get up there and it was almost like a, a high school football game. I mean, it was people lined up on the ridge, sitting down watching. Everybody's giving the thumbs up. Okay, start calling. We called that same bull in again to like 80 yards. And he just stands over there bugling, wouldn't leave. Like he would wow. not leave. And uh, Harrison ended up getting the shot and shooting him and killing him there. And man, you talk mm. about a celebration. You've got, I think Harrison was eight at the time. Oh, wow. So fish and game, <laughs> you know, they'll give children with life-threatening illnesses. Uh, they can be underage, uh, under oh, hunting okay. age. So he, mm. uh, he got to shoot that, but man, you get all those people there working to get these kiddos onto elk and it turned into a pretty uh, good celebration there for a little bit. That would be cool. So, uh, Jess shot another elk. (laughs) She did. How many, how many years in a row is this? Uh, she, you know, she didn't get one last year. So last year broke. Didn't she blow up? Uh, But with volleyball and everything, um, she blew out her ACL in October. So she only got to go out like two days last year hunting. And then once she blew out her ACL, she couldn't get around in rifle season so hmm. uh but yeah she uh she's not playing volleyball this year she 
two ACL <laughs> surgeries in a row. Her sophomore year missed out on volleyball and basketball, and then junior year missed out on volleyball and basketball from the other ACL. So this year she said, I'm not taking a chance. And yeah. so she's uh, had more time. She went out while I was hunting the first week while Donnie and I were in Idaho and she went out and hunted on her own quite a bit and was having troubles finding elk. So when I got home, I went out and uh, we just happened to find this bull bugling and stayed on him well we dropped down the wind was pretty good but he was moving away we could tell he was kind of you know not wanting to come in he was bugling really good but just wasn't quite lighting up and so i said i'll just follow him until he beds down and gets comfortable and then then we can get in on him so we did and we got we were probably 250 yards above him the thermals were coming up at this point and everything was good and we sat there for probably hour and a half two hours and about every 15 20 minutes he'd just let out a little bedded bugle just kind of hey you guys still there and you know, every <laughs> once in a while i would kind of answer him but sometimes i wouldn't and you know he'd bugle a little bit sooner the next time and Pretty soon, thermals were really consistent, and I said, okay, we're on the hot side of the hill here. We might be able to get down there, and he might be convinced to get up. So I stood up and gave a couple cow calls, and he answered, and I hit him with a pretty aggressive bugle and thought, okay, we're just going to see what he does next. And next time he bugled, he's way down canyon. I thought, oh, no, he's going the wrong way. So we followed him down to the bottom of the canyon. He crossed the main road in the bottom of the canyon, which my truck's on the top road at the top of the mountain. He crosses in the bottom and goes up the other side. And I thought, okay, I know what he's doing. He's going up the other side. So he has the thermal advantage and he's going to sit up on a knob up there and say, you guys come up to me. And that's exactly what he did. And we bugled back and forth for an hour and a half. And he'd walk across that knob back and forth and back and forth, but he would not come down at all. He's just like, you've got to come to me. I've got the, I can see looking down from up here and I can smell from up here. So I'm not budging. So we sat there for probably two hours after that, just laying in the grass down in the bottom there. And about every five or 10 minutes, he'd let out a little bugle. And I just, I went quiet and wouldn't answer him. And after about 20 minutes, he'd get up and walk over the edge of the knob and bugle down in there and bugle and bugle. And he's like, where did you go? And he'd get pretty nervous. And <laughs> then he'd go back in bed down and I'd bugle again. He'd come running right back over to the top of the knob. And he's probably... 250 yards away or so and not too far but he would not wouldn't give up that advantage and uh, about 3 30 or so i said all right we're gonna you know another hour and a half two hours thermals are gonna start changing and if we want to make a move now we we probably should do it and so we went down canyon and hit a ridge that paralleled him and came up on that and got to his level came around and of course we knew right where he was bedded and so stood there on the hillside and I let out a cow call and he just erupted and it sounded like a train. We were 150, 200 yards away from him, all this thick chaparral, just alders. And it sounded like a train coming through there. He, every single step he took, he was making a noise. It was just, <laughs> just rumbling coming up there and it was thick brush. And so I said, okay, you've got a lane right here at about 18 or 20 yards and he should come right up through it. Cause it's the only open patch on that hillside. And he ended up going about, 15 yards behind it and circling around to get up to our level 
and come around to us. And when he did that, I thought, oh, we aren't going to be able to get a shot here. It's just going to be a wrong angle. When he comes in, he's going to be coming in almost frontal. And he did. He came through and Jesse drew back. He was probably 25 or 30 yards. And as soon as he stepped, got his head poked out into the open. He just stopped and looked and we're standing on the basically the open hillside there. And nothing we could do. And he whirled and ran. And so he didn't smell us. And uh, he bugled twice more on his own, just going up the ridge, still going the opposite direction from where we started that morning. So I told Jesse, hey, you just sit here and listen. And if he bugles, you just keep track of where he's at. I'm going to hike back up the mountain and get the truck. And then I'll drive around and come pick you up and we'll go find out where he went to. So it probably took me an hour and a half to get up to the truck. And then I came back around, picked her up. And by now it's, you know, six o'clock, six thirty, somewhere in there. And as I was driving to pick her up, I just noticed some tracks coming off the hillside. And that he was the only elk in that country. The only tracks we saw were his. And I stopped and looked, and sure enough, it was a good sized bull going in the same direction he had left on. So I went and picked her up and we drove up the road and pulled out on a pullout and walked about twenty yards. And I said, Well, if his tracks indicate where he's going, he's in this little basin right here below us. And I let out a cow call and he answered 300 yards away. <laughs> so we went down and set up. And this time, the, the previous time when we called him in, I was trying to be right with Jesse. So I was just trying to throw my calls behind me a little bit so I could be there and tell her, okay, draw here. Had I moved back, I think we could have got him into a shooting lane that first time. So this time I was like, okay, I'm going to drop over the hill about 40 yards. Here's your shooting lane. When you hear him coming through the brush right here, draw back, you know, gave her a couple quick pointers. And then I dropped over the hill out of sight. And uh, it took probably 30 minutes to coax him in. And it was so noisy in that huckleberry brush. You could hear him take two steps, just crunch, crunch. And then it'd go quiet for about 30 seconds. And I'd let out a couple cow calls and be quiet. And then all of a sudden, crunch, crunch. And then it'd go quiet again. <laughs> and he would take two steps and look, two steps and look. And, you know, it took. 30 minutes to get him in 200 yards and uh pretty soon i can i had moved up on the ridge i dropped down below jesse and then moved up to where i could just see you know from her shoulders up and pretty soon i see her lock in pretty solid and i'm like all right she must see or hear something pretty soon the bow comes up and she draws back and so i cow call again and the bull lets out a full bugle just right there he's probably 40 yards from me and i'm 25, 30 yards from Jesse. And he lets out a full bugle and she's still at full drawn. I'm like, oh, he must be in the brush. I keep cow calling. Pretty soon she cow calls and I see the bow go off. And I went running from where I was up to her, you know, 30 yards or so. And by the time I got to her, we could hear him coughing and rolling down the hill up wow. there. And I said, was, <laughs> was he as big as he looked? And she's like, that was the most magnificent scene I have ever witnessed in my life. This bull came out of the brush, stopped broadside, had a little just a shrub tree that she couldn't get a shot, but she's at full draw. He stopped behind it, laid his head back and bugled, looking over the hill at me. Didn't even look her direction. So she's standing there at full draw, just 18 yards from this bull. He bugles and then takes a couple steps and she cow calls and shoots. And I mean, if you saw the picture, her shot was money, just yeah. perfect shot. And the bull went, I don't know if he made it 40 or 50 yards and piled up. <laughs> that was pretty awesome. Cool. 
Oh, what day was that? That was uh, Saturday the 10th, uh, September 10th. Okay. Huh. So So, let's see. When was our full moon this year? uh, It was right then. Yeah. Yep. In Hmm. fact, we got a picture packing it out that night after dark with the full moon in the background. Hmm. Well, I wish I had a story like that of my own, Corey, but (laughs) I'm... Well, you're heading out. Uh, you, you got you yeah, got a week here. Yeah, I'm going to Wyoming. Uh, me and Bo and a buddy Mike Spitzer, we're going to go see if we can find an elk in Wyoming in a general unit. Uh, earlier this week, there was a spot that just, it's been on my mind that I got to keep exploring this area. Because in past years when I've been in there grouse hunting, I've seen a lot of elk then, but I've never seen lots of elk. And this year was no different but this year i didn't even see any grouse so i'm like man what a dead (laughs) place to be but uh i uh i followed where most the elk signs started getting fresher and fresher and this is weird uh there's a burn so there's an atv trail that goes like i'll say mid slope it parallels it goes the slope runs north and south and the atv trail goes north and south about halfway up the slope And below that is a roadless area, and above that is kind of a free-for-all. But for whatever reason, well, I know what the whatever reason is. There was a burn up there about five or six years ago that now this year we finally got a ton of moisture. It's like those elk don't care. They're up in that burn. Those cow elk are up there. That's where all the fresh sign is. And there was a load of people hunting in there. So that tells me, oh, they must be hearing and seeing something. But I, I just couldn't bring myself to go into the chaos all that i'm like no i'm gonna go down here in the in the the roadless area part of it i didn't see any elk it's like well randy if you'd swallow your pride and go up there with the guys the smart guys who are driving their atvs and you know you might run into some elk but take take your own advice yeah i know find the food find the elk (laughs) yeah exactly but the other part of this is though I am 100% convinced when rifle season opens, where I was at is where I'm going to kill one opening weekend of rifle season. Yep. Because everyone will be like, oh, yeah, they were up here in archery season. And they will be until everyone starts driving around scouting. And maybe even they'll be there opening morning. But when the first rifle shots go off, they're not going to stay around those ATV trails for very long. So. That's the truth. I'm hoping. I talked to my buddy Bo. I reserved a couple llamas. I'm I'm gonna just go back in there and set up my little shop. And so I'm justifying that it wasn't a complete waste of time. That that's really my whole point of this. Is (laughs) hopefully it was a scouting trip. That that's kind of what I was telling the camera as we were leaving. I'm like, well, you know. Sometimes you it, not every day do you hear them, and not every day do you find them. But you learn something. Well, I don't know if I really learned something. I won't know until I go in there opening week of rifle season. If I don't kill one opening week of rifle season, then I'll say, "Yep, yeah, every day of that was just a complete waste." <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, uh, but uh, are you I taking was, llamas to Wyoming? Yep. Yeah, you, you, I think that's part of the rule. You're not allowed to hunt elk with Bo Beatty unless it's oh, someplace I, that requires llamas. 
I couldn't so, imagine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He, he just like, wow. And I told him, I'm like, Bo, I am, I, this is going to be my first real exerting hunt of the season. I'm like, your prototypical fat accountant right now. And <laughs> I could die on the way in there, you know? If I die, just roll me off the trail so nobody, you know, I don't want to be an obstruction to anybody. Uh, <laughs> so we'll see. Uh, maybe it'll work. Maybe it won't. But yep. there's, I'm sure there'll be plenty of other people in there because the season opens on Monday. And uh, it's public land, right? Pretty popular area. So... Yeah. We'll see. Yeah. Uh, It'll be fun. Better, better than sitting at home. I mean, well, it is September. That's what <laughs> I told my wife. She asked yesterday, she's like, is it kind of nice just being home and, you know, because I shot the bull on day two in Colorado. I'm like, are you kidding me? I feel like I'm wasting September. Like, I don't have anything to do. I don't, Sam's in school. So I'm just sitting around waiting for him to get out of school and, so, <laughs> I, I'm sure if you put the word out, Corey, if you went through that email list of questions we get every week, you'd have no, <laughs> you'd have some people who would let you come and call for them if you're really. Well, that they'd bored. have to have elk located because I'm having troubles locating elk, and yeah, it's uh, sounds like a pretty common story right now. From you know, I mean, there's definitely people getting into them, and I think mm-hmm. it's. The timing's right right now, but a lot of the normal areas where we find elk, there's just no elk. And I, the one thing I've learned, so we've got a couple areas that, you know, the mountains around them are usually where the bulls spend the summer. And there's always a couple elk up there during season. And I haven't heard a bugle up there, but we get back down, driving back home and stop down on the private and... The party's there. I mean, 12, 15 bulls out on this private, all converging on the same meadow at night. And Hmm. I'm convinced that they just, they aren't leaving there anymore. They aren't going up on the mountain during the summer. They're just staying on that private down low. And between, Hmm. you know, there's not a lot of hunting pressure in these areas, but I think there's enough. And then with the wolves and water situations and everything else, they're just like, why leave? There's, we've got yeah. everything we need right here. We've got security, we've got feed, we've got water. And so those elk are just staying right there on private and not, not going up on the public anymore. Yeah. There's a study done in the Madison Valley of Montana where we used to have elk that migrated from the Gallatin drainage to upper Gallatin over into the Madison Valley. And they'd start migrating in October. Well, as there got to be more and more irrigation and center pivot alfalfa fields over in the Madison Valley, that exact thing happened. And that wasn't just a guess or an anecdotal observation. Ken Hamlin, Craig Jordanay, and Kelly Prophet did a study on it. And a lot of those elk, we now call them the, the center pivot elk. They don't <laughs> leave. So yep. it's uh, now, I, I think when they did that study, that was like... 12, 13 years ago, you know, we've got a whole generation of elk that has lost any idea of what that migration route is or the, you know, when to go, when to come back, stuff like that. I wonder, I wonder if that can be relearned if ever you did uh, encourage those elk to leave or discourage them from staying, maybe is the other way to say it. But Well, they did I, a I similar study in uh, Jackson Hole, didn't they? The elk that would migrate out of Yellowstone and they'd come down in winter in Jackson Hole and then they'd go back to Yellowstone. A lot of them are staying 
down mm-hmm. in there. And they were saying the same thing, that those cows that teach them the migration every year stay in there or they've died. And that's they just aren't migrating anymore. They don't know it. They yeah. don't learn it. They stay there. Yeah. So it's... <sighs> How are we going to get those elk back on the public? I don't know. <laughs> we got we got to do that. We got to figure out how we can do that. Um, you got any ideas on that? I do, but they're probably not legal, so we probably better not discuss them. All right. Well, we're they, not going to talk about. I was going to say they aren't good then. ideas. They're just the first ideas that came to mind. <laughs> okay. Uh, hey, did you see the one email where the guy asked you about uh, hunting northern Idaho? Should he hunt them like they're Roosevelt's, even though they're Rockies? I did. I did see that. Yeah, yeah I think, yeah. you know, it's a combination because north Idaho is a lot like the Oregon coast. You know, north Idaho, northwest Montana, uh, Washington, a lot of that area is very similar to the Oregon coast, um, but it's not the Oregon coast. You know, it's not the every morning you have water dripping out of the trees just from the the mist overnight. Uh, you, you know, it's moist for sure, but it's not the, the Oregon coast, Oregon coast moisture. Um, the elk seem to move more in North Idaho than they do on the Oregon coast. So, you know, yeah. you've got to cover more country to to find the elk they aren't just holed up in one little pocket where they stay uh year round like they do the roosevelt's do so it's almost a combination of the two you know you still have to cover ground uh but then you've got to employ some of those tactics to get in close and uh, you can be a little more aggressive in the brush uh the bulls can you know i I think the roosevelt bulls in the thick brush are probably more aggressive coming in than the Rocky Mountain bulls in the thick brush where the Rocky Mountain bulls a lot of times will sit up there on a knob or on a hillside and just listen and wait for you to come through. And if they think there's danger, they'll move off. Whereas the Roosevelt's, you know, the more, the faster and louder you move towards them, the more excited they get because they think a bull's coming to fight. So, you know, there's, there's, there's some definite differences, but I think some similarities. The problem is the, the differences, make it more difficult, I think, to hunt. So hunting North Idaho, uh, Northwest Montana, some of that just real thick stuff. It's steep. The vegetation's thick on all sides of the mountain. Um, you got to cover more country, which is harder to hike in. Uh, you've got to, you know, there, there's just a lot of challenges to that. And there's challenges to Roosevelt for sure. But I think that I, I would almost say it's every bit as hard to kill an elk in North Idaho as it is on the on the coast. Hmm. I look at that country in either place and I'm like, you know what? I'm not sure that I'm tough enough to hunt those places. There's something magical. I'm, I'm still drawn back to the coast. We'll go back and hunt Roosevelt's for sure. At some point here, just, I don't know. There's a lot of it is horrible. Like it's just steep and everything wants to grab a hold of you and not let you go. And it's brushy (laughs) and it's wet and all that. But then you walk into this little patch of old growth and there's moss growing on every side of every tree. And it just, it looks like you're in Narnia or somewhere. And it's uh narnia yeah what's that narnia it's i don't know some mystical magical place really i never been what is the movie there's narnia return to narnia or something i know there's the kids watch some movies Hmm. i don't 
Wow. I, I, you're yeah. talking to a guy who hasn't yeah. seen Star Wars. So. Well, well, that, um, and you didn't even know who Bon Jovi was. So, Nope. Mm-mm. Never heard of know. her. Never heard of her, whoever <laughs> she is. So, uh, Some other person emailed, and we don't have time for the top ten, but he said, I'm curious about what's been the top ten worst elk mistake stories for your wallet. My hunt today, my second year of chasing elk, just made my number two spot. <laughs> <laughs> That's all the detail we got from the guy. I'm like, man. dang, come on, man. I want to know what, what, what happened to make this the number two spot as far as destruction to your wallet and elk hunting. Man, so. nothing like a cliffhanger. Yeah, maybe, maybe. Uh, hey, Mark, if you if you hear us reading your question, write back and tell us what the heck happened that made this such a <laughs> such a terrible event. Yeah, uh, when you do that, then we'll tell you what ours are. <laughs> yeah, well, I'll tell you what mine was. Uh, this is when I thought I was really being cute one day. Uh, I applied for an elk tag in South Central Wyoming as a second choice because the year before there there were leftover tags. I'm like, well. I'll apply for a hard one as my first choice. I won't get it. I'll get get a point, and then I'll get this leftover tag. Well, that was all fine and dandy until I found out that all of these county roads that supposedly went through this checkerboard, a landowner had closed them off, and <laughs> the county attorney didn't, or the county sheriff didn't seem to have the gumption to open them. So that was a large investment in a Wyoming elk tag that hurt my wallet because marcus and i went down there we didn't see any um but now there's a court case about some corner crossing going on in that unit with that same landowner so (laughs) i uh (laughs) it's uh that's probably the hardest one that i ever had on my wallet if you measure it in terms of cost compared to what little benefit you got out of it yeah yeah so i'd like to know what this guy what i mean yeah i'm thinking like did his truck blow up yeah i was gonna say it's got to be something did, did his his name is mark so i don't know if he left home at a bad time and now it's like divorce time because that that could be really expensive <laughs> I, i'm just trying to guess all these things that could have happened that made it Number two on his list. I can't imagine what number one was. So. Yeah, no kidding. Losing a bet that uh-huh. you're going to kill an elk or something. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Yeah, that that uh, could be bad. Um, yeah. Got got more questions. People asking about where to camp related to thermals. I know we've covered that many times. That we camp like in the camp. bottom. Camp in yeah. the bottom. Camp in the yeah. bottom. Don't camp on the ridge. <laughs> Maybe get a t-shirt yeah. or a bumper sticker. Camp in the camp bottom. In the bottom. Yeah. yeah. And just I mean, you think about the times you're at camp. It's evening, night, early morning. All of those times thermals are going down. So you don't want to be above the elk for camp. You want to be below them. Yeah. Yeah. That's I I mean, as hard as we work to finally locate some elk, the last thing you want to do is get rambunctious like I do at times and let them smell you. Yeah. And then mess it up. So Yep. Uh, some other person here uh, wrote about some uh, non-compliant ATV use messing up his hunt. Ah. Um, so maybe you are right that 
Maybe it's not just what you saw this year, Corey. Yeah, it's been, and you know, I just, I get it to a degree, but there's no excuse anymore. You know, ignorance used to be the thing. Oh, I didn't know this road was closed. You know, everybody's got the the road closures on, yeah. you know, whatever device they're using. It's pretty easy to find. I mean, Forest Service has the maps if it's National Forest. State has the maps if it's state. You know, if you're using a, a mobile device with an app on it for your navigation, it probably has has the road statuses on there. And just because there's other tracks on the road, just because there's not a gate, just because there's not a sign, it doesn't mean it's open. I mean, there are designated roads that are that are open and they'll say open for all vehicles from this state to this state or open for 50 inches or less from this state to this state or open for motorcycle only. And if it doesn't say it's open for one of those motorized uses, it's not open. You can walk it, you can ride a bicycle, you can take a horse on it, but you can't can't take something with a motor down it. And it's just, man, even this morning, you know, there's a, a main motorcycle trail, and that's why I went on there. I thought I can just cover a lot more country and get up and hit some ridges up high and try to find a bugle. And it intersects, you know, a couple places it'll intersect a, a, a full-size vehicle road. Uh, but for the most part, it's, you know, a lot of state land that, goes through some logged areas so there's roads in there but those roads aren't open to drive and people take this motorcycle trail and as soon as they hit the road they'd hit that road and take it and drive it and you can see i mean there's more tracks crossing there on the road than there were on the actual motorcycle trail <laughs> that's bad it uh, is yeah well this time of year is when we all it seems like when if we're going to get questions about altitude sickness it's going to be an archery season in Colorado when people go up to 12, 13,000 feet to, <laughs> to chase early season out. Yep. And uh, we got a couple of them. Unfortunately, it seems like both of the people are going to be okay. Uh, but one guy says, my question is, for next year, what tips do you have for selecting a good hunting buddy? <laughs> 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 the hmm. guy want, the, the guy wanted to put his buddy on a plane back to California and his buddy wouldn't do it and so it was his rig so they had to drive back to to California and so hmm. he didn't really get to do any elk hunting because his buddy got altitude sickness so you know, and altitude sickness is no fun I still I don't get sick sick but I can feel um, first day in high country I, I don't feel quite normal you know i get a little bit of yeah. a headache uh slow down a little bit um you know aside from the normal well you're at high altitude so it's harder to get oxygen and you know you're breathing heavy and all that um but i know people that do get really sick um to the point where they're throwing up or lethargic you know laying there about passed out headaches all of that um the one thing that i always tell everybody and i try to remember myself is hydrate yourself hydrate because the more yeah. dehydrated you are the mm -hmm. the more effect that altitude has on you so not just when you get there don't start drinking you know hydrate yourself for a day or two before and make sure you're well hydrated um there are some supplements too mountain ops makes uh, i think it's called solitude um, oh really yeah, it's just, I, I think it's, uh, 
I'd have to look up and see. I haven't taken it for a few years, but it seems like it opens up your your vascular system so that more blood can flow, so that the flow of oxygen is is a little better there. So things like that can help. Um, and then acclimate yourself. You know, don't go from yeah. twenty five hundred feet to twelve five in one day, and then take off hiking up the mountain. You're gonna you're gonna yeah. feel it. Yeah, I mean, I live at five thousand feet, and this weekend I'm going to be trekking over a pass that's 10,000, like 10, just over 10,000. And then we're going to camp at 8,400 feet and just that 3,000 feet, 4,000 feet difference. I know the first day I'm going to feel like, blah, kind of like, you know, groggy and yeah. headache. So you see me sitting here in the video, Corey, I've been drinking on this water doing exactly what you said if that means i gotta stop and pee eight times between here and wyoming well guess what at least i'll be hydrated yep <laughs> absolutely but it's uh it's not anything to mess around with i guess and you know it gets to the point i from reading that one email and i don't want to rat anybody out so i'll speak in general terms is when you pick hunting buddies sometimes there's different levels of commitment to it and you might have one of the two or three in the group who's really in good shape and can go and then maybe one of the two or three hasn't really taken it seriously and he drags everybody back and uh so that's that's one of those maybe we need to do a whole podcast on hunting buddies or mistakes hunting buddy divorces we could get an 800 number and have people call in <laughs> dear randy yeah yeah you've given a lot of marriage advice what can you tell me about hunting partner advice oh <laughs> uh, well i just and i i think about it a lot of these people you know, they save up their money for three or four years and this is their big trip and yeah. they take 10 days of time away from family and work. And then they, you know, one of the people really has put a lot into it. Maybe one hasn't of the, I don't know, two, three or four guys. And I, I just would feel that if I was in that situation, I would owe it to my friends that I got to be able to give it a good effort. Yeah. And, uh, so I, I think that's just that. a characteristic. I mean, that's you, you should know people enough ahead of time to say, this guy's committed to whatever he does. You know, if he says he's going to yeah. do something, he follows through. And then, you know, you've got those friends that are like, yeah, 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 let's go, let's go. And then last minute they flake out. Or, yeah. And I'm not just talking elk hunting. I'm just talking <laughs> personality in general. And I think that that's, you know, that's a good first indicator of, hey, he's kind of unreliable with this. You know, he complains about work all the time. When things get hard, he's the first one to throw the towel in. Probably not going to make the yeah. best elk hunting partner. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think there's warning signs to that along the way. And, uh, I I can't give any specific advice to it, but I think everybody in their time has probably sorted through a hunting partner or two of just, hey, this, you know, our hunting styles are different. Our commitment to doing this is different. Or, you know, the worst one is you leave town in the dark at four in the morning, drive out to the trailhead, and the one buddy says, hey, I got to be home at noon. <laughs> what? 
why, why did you even come? You yeah. Know? Or that uh, would have been uh, nice uh, to know last night. So we could have planned somewhere that wasn't a three hour <laughs> drive to get to the trailhead. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, I think we ought to all of you listening, you can go out to elktalkpodcast.com and we, we should ask for a call of what are the crazy, uh, hunting friend, hunting buddy. Yeah. Scenarios that the things that would cause you to say, Ooh, that's a good story. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, we better hide the names on this one. (laughs) We will keep it all anonymous. But yeah, if you do have a, Uh, a, a a bad hunting partner story, share it with us and we'll, uh, we'll get a laugh at your expense from it and we'll share it. And, and uh, I think we can probably come up with a couple. I know I've got uh, a few examples of things that didn't go exactly right with the, with a hunting partner. So you don't know what my worry is, Corey, you're going to get a bunch of emails that say, you know, Randy Newberg used to be my hunting partner, but let me tell you about that guy. (laughs) (laughs) I got rid of his sorry accountant, but, uh, uh, so, uh, you want to go elk hunting in Kentucky next year? Do I ever? Of course I do. You're, you're not qualified to win, though. Why? Because not qualified to win what? The the win a hunt with Randy next year. What? Yeah, the Elk Foundation got a Kentucky elk tag for a fundraiser, oh. and so if you go to RMEF dot win a hunt, I think it is. Yeah. They they have already got the tag lined up and why you know, am I not eligible? I'm gonna read through the <laughs> I, you're not eligible because I said so. I uh, am looking here. I'm gonna find a way around this. Oh I'm gonna, in a Kentucky Elk Hunt with Randy Newberg. Yeah. From now from until now, November first. Yeah. Active R I'm active RMEF member. I meet that criteria, can enter to win a Kentucky Elk Hunt alongside Randy in the fall of 2023, in addition to a host of other great gear, enter below, five entries for being an active supporting member, 10 for being an active team elk member, 20 for sports, 50 entries for being an active life member. That's me. I get 50 Uh entries. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm going to throw them all out. No. Yeah. So. Sweepstake is void in Minnesota and Washington. Okay, I'm still okay there. What? Yes. Minnesota and Washington, it's void? That's what it says. Any transactions from these states will not be entered into the sweepstakes. What a bunch of, what kind of misfit operations they run in there? See, that, that's why Minnesota I'm, may enter using the mail-in entries form only. So you can mail in oh. from Minnesota. Oh, okay. Huh. Man, you do read the fine print. I'm just but anyhow, for something like that. I'm so the the you know in Kentucky it's ninety one percent private land. So in order for them to convince all these ag producers and all these big coal mines to allow elk, they have this incentive program. So. The good part is if you want one of these and to be in one of these incentive programs as a landowner, you got to open your land to public hunting. So it hmm. kind of in effect converts it to, to public land or at least public access. So uh, I'm not sure who they worked with to, to get it, but they ended up with a, uh, a voucher permit, whatever. And 
So whoever wins, wow. they get to go to Kentucky and they got to put up with my bad cooking, my bad humor, probably, well, bad everything. But and do you I've get never, a tag? No, but I'm on the search for one. Cause I'm, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm like, hey, if I'm back there, right? Yeah, Why not? you're there. Yeah. So, and I told my wife about it. I'm like, you know, they cost a lot of money. And she didn't even hesitate. She said, well, you should do that, which tells me she wants something big. <laughs> new car, vacation. Yeah. I'm not sure what it's going to be, but if I end up finding one and pull the trigger, I'm, it's, you know, it's kind of like I tell people that thousand dollar new bow you buy is really a $5,000 bow. Yep. You know, it's a $1,000 item for you, a $2,000 item for her and $2,000 item for the household. If I end up finding one of these Kentucky elk tags I can go do, I'm sure it's going to be the same multiplier. Man. Multiply by five, Randy. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you only live once. Uh, <clears throat> yeah, that's why I look at it. But yep. uh, anyhow, anyone who wants to join that, go out to rmef.winahunt between now and November 1st. rmef.org forward slash win dash a dash hunt. Really? So, RMF.org forward slash win a hunt. Really? They told me I could just type in RMF.win a hunt. <laughs> Let's see what happens. Maybe, maybe, maybe it all goes to the same place. When? Now you got me so worried I swallowed my water wrong. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there it goes. They must have bought that URL also. They said, look, we know that Newberg can never remember anything. <clears throat> So if you type in rmef.winahunt, it redirects to the same uh, site. Well. How about that, huh? So, <clears throat> anyhow, if people are interested, <clears throat> excuse me, go do that. I'm excited to take somebody there. I've, you know, I've never hunted Kentucky, so we're going to be learning this side by side. And wow. I looked, I think the season dates are the first five days of October. Ooh, should be peak man. rut. Yeah. yeah. And uh, it, I don't know, should be fun. And, you know, it was 25 years ago that Kentucky introduced elk. I think we had Gabe Jenkins from Kentucky mm -hmm. Parks and Wildlife on the podcast here last summer. And that's a big celebration of it. And if you think about what this money gets used for, for these sweepstakes, uh, it it's stuff like that. If you want to see yep. how your funding, how your support of conservation works, all you got to do is go watch that video about how the elk introduction in Kentucky happened. And that should, that should be enough to convince anybody that conservation is worthwhile. Yeah, especially so, when we're talking $35 for a year. Yeah. Well, maybe I should just promise them that you'll come and call. I'll be the camp cook. You'll be the caller. We're going to have to find two of those tags. <laughs> <laughs> you be on the lookout for more than just one. All right. I'll see. If I find one, I'll ask them what the twofer special is. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Uh, no, I was uh, yeah. Ben Potter lives in California. So we were talking about Thule elk when we were hunting in Colorado last week. And just, Ooh. man, I just, I want to hunt a Thule elk. And I don't know why. Probably just because yeah. I haven't before, but man, financially, they are a stretch to be able to get a, a bull tag. Yeah. 
Yeah, you find a Thule elk tag, and that guy, whoever is the owner of that tag, he'll teach you how to ride a jack. (laughs) (laughs) A big one. Yeah, that track guy, you'd have to get one of those tracks that's like a big placard board just to fit enough zeros in there. Yeah. Well, no, I'm excited. When the Elk Foundation told me that they wanted to do this as a celebration of Kentucky, I'm like, I'm in. You know, so the way it works is they select the winner. Uh, I think they'll select them in November or December. And I get in touch with them. We plan all the logistics and everything else. And I just show up to help. I, you know, it's, I just tell everybody, look, this isn't a guided hunt. You know, I'm, I am not a guide. I'm not an outfitter. This is just, hopefully when we're all done, we're going to be friends. And uh, <laughs> to, to date, you know, we've done quite a few of these and raised a lot of money for the Oak Foundation in the process. Everybody we've had has been such a great person. I'm, I've been so lucky in that respect. And, and we go out. We go on these hunts and they just they have a blast and and I have a blast you know I I'm sure though that my bad cooking and my corny humor gets old after a while they probably shoot the next elk that steps out they're like oh I got to <laughs> get, get the hunt over here, man. <laughs> yeah this newer guy but. So hopefully it'll interest people. And then there's a many, many, many thousands of dollar gear package that the winner gets also. So, and in the process, you know, you're supporting a good cause. Yep. So, so yeah, we're out uh, on the mountain. You get five entries with the annual supporting membership. You get 10 with an annual team elk membership. But if you're on the fence and thinking about becoming a life member, yeah. 50, 50 entries for the Kentucky Hunt. That's Yeah. Plus, you get a $75 gift card from Go Hunt. Plus, you get a certificate for a free pair of boots from Kennetrek if you do the life member route. Wow. There you go. At that For that kind of benefit, you should buy two of them. <laughs> Or however many children you have, that'd be a good good gift for them. Or if you got a multiple personality thing, buy one for each of your personality. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't care. <laughs> oh, Corey, can you believe you kind of kept me on the straight and narrow for at least 50 minutes? The last 20, yeah. I've kind of ran us into the ditch. But, uh, uh, you know, I've, it's I would all say the last four or five, maybe. But <laughs> All right. Well, it's all in the name of a good cause of conservation. So That's right. But, well, I'm going to let you go, mostly because I got to run. I, I haven't packed yet, and I'm leaving for Wyoming in two and a half hours. Wow. And uh, I'd hate to show up without my sleeping bag or something. A cameraman, to remain unnamed, showed up in elk camp recently without his sleeping bag. Why would you not name him? I think you should name him just to nah. teach him a lesson. Well, I think it was a pretty good lesson to be sleeping at 8,000 feet in September with nothing but Randy's spare sleeping bag liner. Wow. And, Ra- and Randy's Ultra Bivy. My, I have this Ultra Bivy that I put over my sleeping bag in case I get condensation that might, you know, whatever. It keeps my sleeping bag dry. That way I can use a down bag which is lighter and, you know, the warmth to weight ratio of down is better, but if it gets wet, you're in trouble. So the solution is you get an ultra bivy that weighs six ounces. 
Hmm. Problem solved. So that camera guy got to sleep in my spare sleeping bag liner and my ultra baby. Hmm. Well, I know and, it wasn't Marcus. Marcus would never make that mistake. And so he gets up that morning, and the first thing he does is look at the weather forecast because we're supposed <laughs> to stay there for another day. He's like, oh, it's supposed to get into the 30s tonight. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> Last night is only 48, and you thought you were cold last night? So, anyhow, we left. Mm. I felt bad. Really? Mostly we, mostly we didn't hear any elk that day. Yeah, okay. And didn't shoot any grouse. But I made it sound like, yeah, I, I wouldn't want you to die out here. Yeah. You know, you have a workers' comp claim on me because you get the shivers <laughs> or something. <laughs> so, we better leave. Really, I was leaving because I'd picked a dead spot. My e-scouting didn't pan out the way I'd hoped. So, uh, <laughs> so, do you use a sleeping bag liner, Corey? I don't. I don't use anything. I got a new sleeping pad that is a game changer, though. Oh, really? I've been, sleep- oh, yeah, I've oh, been sleeping on the Thermarest Neo mm-hmm. Air X Lite. The thing's squeaky, like squeaky. Four- well, it's not too bad. I've had it for probably eight years now or longer, mm-hmm. but it's about four inches wide at the bottom and about seven inches wide at its <laughs> widest point. So I, I never feel like I'm fully on it. And if I even sneeze and I'm on my side, I roll off a bit. So uh, I got one, uh, I think it's a big Agnes. It's three and a half yeah. inches thick and it's 25 inches wide top to bottom. And it's 76 inches long. And I'll tell you what, it's like I'm sleeping on a real mattress. I don't roll off. My feet don't hang off. It's... Is it the I big like Q? It. I don't remember. I I ordered it right before Colorado because when we were hunting Idaho the first week, I thought, I am done with this whole rolling off of my sleeping pad every night. Yeah, because I've, I've been using a big Agnes pad this year. Uh, it's, it's a Q core is what mine is. Yeah. Mine's a big Agnes Rapide SL insulated sleeping pad, Hmm. 25 by 72. Hmm. Wow. Yeah. Well, here's how big of a tightwad I am. I went to a, a sale they had this summer and it was in the slightly used rack you know, they sell her for like 200, 240 bucks, something like that. Yeah. This one was like 40 bucks. And I aired it up, threw it down on the floor and laid there for about 20 minutes. No air went out of it. I said, I'll take this for, I don't know, 39 bucks or whatever. So, And I've used it on every trip this year. There wasn't a hole in it. I think what happened is, remember Charlie Brown, Lucy, they had the character in there called Pigpen? Mm-hmm. You know, he, he's the little kid walk around like a cloud of dirt around him. <laughs> I, I think what happened is one of these homeless people that are moving into Bozeman went down there and bought it because he couldn't afford a, you know, a real place to sleep. And he slept on it for about three days and brought it back, got his money back. So that was it dirty. Slightly. No. <laughs> but I, I don't care. You know, uh. it, it, I saved 200 bucks. Yeah. Well, that's cool. So, yeah. So, anyhow, yeah, I'm glad I, you I upgraded. Paid, I paid full price for mine. And my old one, I, it's it's been incredible. I, I wouldn't consider this a full upgrade. You know, anytime that you, you gain something. So, it's actually four and a quarter inches thick on the outside. The outside chambers are thicker than the rest so that you don't oh. roll off of it. It kind of 
uh-huh. creates a little cup there and holds you in it. But um, our value of 4.2, and uh, yeah, it's not overly noisy. But the really cool thing is it has an inflation bag. So you have this yeah. little bag that you fill up with air and you don't have to, I mean, I usually pass out two or three times just filling my sleeping <laughs> pad up, especially at high elevation. That's yeah. the worst. Oh, uh, yeah. No, mine came with one of those little, whatever you want to call it, bags. Yeah. The the male, female of the valves connect and you just squeeze the bag. Yep. It's kind of like a big baffle on the old furnaces they had or something yeah. like blow the air in there i'm like holy cow and then so, you don't get condensation inside and builds up and gets no. mold so yeah it's yeah i'll tell you That's what for, i must be getting older because i'm looking for uh comforts now more than I, i'm willing to pack an extra eight ounces with me to be able to sleep good for mm-hmm. seven nights in a row so yeah well i i use my 30 degree bag Till it gets down to about 15 degrees. <laughs> and I can do that because I got 30 degree bag. I've got a liner that gives me another five to eight degree of, of benefit. And then my ultra BV gives me another two or three degrees. And, uh, so it's way lighter weight than my 10 degree bag to have that whole system there. And when I come home and I need to wash it, I don't need to wash the sleeping bag. I just wash the liner. I mean, the sleep. If you saw the sleeping bags of my camera crew, I think they get hurt on the sharp edges of crust that are built up in there. <laughs> I definitely can't zip mine all the way up and sleep with my head in it all night. But it, oh uh, man, I, see, I I'm look just at the opposite. Sh- I wear. I use a zero degree bag until it gets down to about forty degrees, and then I have to start layering. <laughs> <laughs> I get so cold uh, so easy, but. Huh. Yeah. I've been uh, using a, a prototype sleeping bag all fall and I'm kind of really? liking it so far. But yeah, cool. I usually do use a zero degree bag and hmm. I, uh, I got I a zero degree really bag. But it takes two llamas just to carry my zero degree bag. What? Yeah. What kind Compared of zero to my degree 30 bag degree do you have? Bag. Really? Sea to Summit. How have you your zero degree bag? I don't know. I, I can. I almost got to get a dolly cart to get it up the stairway. Man, <clears throat> I don't know. It's a zero degree, and it's a synthetic, so that's gonna make it even bigger and heavier. And bulk. There's reason I had to put a topper on my truck so that I could put my zero degree bag down in there. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe not quite that bad. But, I was gonna uh, say my zero degree bag. Well, let me. Uh, I'm looking at the 15 degree here. Let me I mean, it's warm as all get out. Bye. Two pounds, ten ounces for my zero degree bag. Ah, uh, you're full of it. Nope. Two pounds, 10 ounces, zero degree, and it folds up to tiny, like eight inches by 14 inches. All right. Are, and we I talking, have, are, are, are you talking a down bag or synthetic? It is the hyper dry. So it's uh, hmm. treated down. Hmm. Well, I don't know. I. I'm sure I'm messing something up here, but this this one I have, it doesn't even, now it doesn't even, the one that I have, it doesn't even do zero degree. Now they only make it down to 10 degree. 
<laughs> Wait. Three pounds, 13 ounces. Yeah. And that's their 10-degree version. So Yeah, you, you got to get uh, with the... There, there's hunting companies making pretty good sleeping bags. Yeah. Well, I'm not yeah. one of the cool kids on the block, so they don't send them to me. So well, they're like, this, this old fart, he's probably staying at the geriatric ward tonight. So. <laughs> <laughs> so anyhow i'm gonna do a video about how you can stay warm and not have to pack 14 pounds of sleeping bag with you because I, I i don't get cold in the mountains i don't and uh maybe i'm just lucky maybe i got I enough know. fat on me that all right i don't know no, some people sleep warm i just i get cold and then if i get cold i don't sleep at all and yeah it's great i mean i I literally will use my zero degree sleeping bag in the summer when i'm doing backpacking trips when it's getting down to 45 50 at night Hmm. and i'm i still don't get hot yeah here's another stunt that cracks me up i'll see guys that you know they're the guys who cut the end off their toothbrush to save a quarter of an ounce (laughs) well they go and buy a sleeping bag that's about two sizes too small for them because it ends up saving three ounces well by the time you crawl in that thing and stretch it you have zero remaining insulation factor you've stretched out all of the insulation pockets it's like hello so now they got to carry a minus 40 bag to get you know a 25 (laughs) degree equivalent so that minus 40 bag weighs two pounds more anyhow it's like (sighs) Oh. oh well yeah, I've gone through a lot of sleeping bags, and yeah. I've had troubles finding the right one, but I've got it now oh, for me. My my wife walks downstairs, and she sees all my sleeping bags hanging from my sleeping bag hooks. She's like, how many sleeping bags do you have? <laughs> and I want to say, how many shoes do you have? But I know better than <laughs> You know say better that. than that. <laughs> that's, that's why I've been married 33 years. I bite my lip before I say that. No. So that's right. Hey, uh, maybe someday we should have John Barclow on, and he can talk about materials for sleeping systems. Yeah, he's kind of an expert on that sort of stuff. He is. Yeah. Yeah. But anyhow, I'm gonna I'm going up to 8,400 feet in Wyoming, and I'm gonna splurge. I'm bringing my 15 degree bag with me just in case we get one of those bad periods but yeah no, you got llamas to pack it yeah and if you read about randy dying of hypothermia you'll say well folks uh <laughs> scratch those comments randy gave about how to stay warm in a sleeping bag he froze to death up on gobbler's knob last week so. <laughs> but, uh, well good luck in well, wyoming yeah We'll uh, catch up when I get back. I'll give you a report. That'll be great. And we'll uh, yeah. we're doing that Outfitters for Hope hunt. So oh, cool. Thanks for uh, doing we'll those. I, yeah, I I went out and watched. You know, I watched the video that you did with the kid from Louisiana. I don't know how many times I've watched that video. There's just something about that video that well, in all of them. So yeah, go out to the Elk, Elk 101 channel, Destination Elk, and. Uh, there's always the, what do you call it? Hunt for Hope? Uh, Outfitters for Hope. Outfitters for Hope. So, yep. yeah, those are special. You guys do a great job on those. Thanks for doing them. You and yeah. all the people who jump in and, and help you guys out. Those are special. 
They are. And we've got a super special young man coming in next week with us. He's uh, paraplegic, uh, has no use of anything waist down. So uh, we're getting a special backpack made. They're going to be able to pack him around in and carry him around. He was born with uh, spina bifida and hydrocephalus. And uh, yeah, so... Been through a lot, but he is uh, comes from a, a family. His grandfather was a hunter, and so he's uh, super excited to be able to go hunting for the first time. And cool. Well, thanks for doing that with him. Yeah, it's, I'm. I know the. I know you well enough, Corey, that it means as much to you as it probably does to them. Oh, but I was going to say we thanks. we get way more out of it than what we give. So that's. I told Donnie yeah. after the first time we will do this every year no question asked just block the time out and we're doing it (laughs) cool well until then Corey. yeah good luck out there you too Hope hope you find sam and elk between now and when the next time we talk me too we'll we'll give it a try your archery archery season in idaho closes when uh september 30th but then they uh, being a youth in idaho they get Mm. to uh their a tag also becomes a b tag so oh wow they get to hunt for spike with a rifle from like october 5th through the 14th then they get to hunt for branch or any bowl from october 15th through november 3rd and then they have a Mm. short range cow hunt in november so he basically i mean he's got a season through the middle or end of november if he doesn't get an elk Hmm. well he better get an elk soon or he'll miss out on all the hot dates at homecoming or something uh, well, homecoming is uh tonight actually so oh is it oh yeah, man he's, I didn't, huh. he's skipping that to go hunting so. ah that a boy yeah he's uh the, he should be sam for president that's right <laughs> <laughs> oh take care Corey. all right thanks randy